Hello and welcome to the Knowledge Out College podcast. This is your host, Patrick Butler. And today I have a episode I'm really excited to share with you. Uh, it is with one of the creators of a brand new documentary film called Hoaxed. I saw this film a few months ago at an early screening and it was phenomenal. It's a fairly politically neutral perspective on our current media landscape. There's a lot of valuable conversations and, and points made in the film. I think it's an important uh, piece of content that everybody needs to watch. And I was really excited to have one of the creators, Scooter Downey, join us. You can find Scooter online at True Legend Films on Twitter. I think you're going to really enjoy this episode. I think you're going to love the film hoax. Definitely go check it out. So please, without further delay, enjoy this episode of the podcast with Scooter Downey. Hey, Scooter, thank you so much for joining us today. It's a pleasure thank to have you on the show. Absolutely. Good to be here. Awesome, man. So for the audience, I have to say, you know, um, this is good timing to have you on because your film, Hoaxed, is launching today, um, you know, assuming no technical difficulties. And I have to say it was one of, it was easily the best documentary I've seen all year. You know, that was all 2018 and, and the best one I had seen in a really long time. It left a huge impact on me. The moment it was finished, I wanted to stand up, give it a standing ovation. I, I have not felt that energetic about a film uh, in as long as I can remember. So whatever you're doing over there, definitely working and everyone's got to check out this film. But from your perspective, like how did you get involved in this and how did this project start? So I had worked with Mike Cernovich on a couple other projects. I had done some short, short films for him editing and he put on a contest to see who would be the director of, of hoax. And so myself and many other people applied and we made a fake trailer. And then Mike called me up and was like, Hey, I want to offer you the job. And I was like, fantastic. And he's like, and I'm going to offer it as well to another guy. I was like, what, <laughs> what are you talking about? He's like, oh, I mean, we're gonna have two directors. And I'm thinking to myself, this is crazy. You know, I don't even know this other person. Like, this is madness. But I was like, sure, let's do it. And, and uh, then it, it turned out great. Like, the idea of two people directing something together who's ne who have never met and have never worked together and aren't brothers is uh, very unusual. But, it, you know, we ended up becoming really good friends and working working well together. So... Uh, yeah, we basically won a contest and it was funny because we had both actually submitted to an Infowars contest like in 2013 and placed in the top three and for that as well. So we're on the same wavelength. Gotcha. Wow. That's, that's interesting. Uh, I actually did not know that at all. Uh, so it was just based off of the trailer that you submitted? Yeah. Yeah. It was based on the, the fake, fake trailer for what we want for hoax. And was the idea uh, always to be sort of about the media and about 
Uh, yeah, yeah. That's like Mike's, Mike Cernovich's bread and butter is holding the media accountable, you know, the, 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 fifth, the fifth guard because who's going to watch the watcher. So Mike's, Mike's been on that for a long time. He, he always knew he wanted to do a documentary on the media. And it's not just on the media. It's also about how people manipulate each other and how easy it is and what, how, are, how humans are built to understand truth to figure out what's true and not. And so it, it's very topical. We are, we are serving in an underserved market, but I think it has legs beyond like in five years, if you watched it, you might not know all the information about this particular time period that we're covering, but I think it's universal enough that anybody, and we've had people that have been on the left and and, in the middle who have seen the film and they really enjoyed it. And even though they might disagree with several or many different things in the film, I think the way it's presented, um, they still really enjoy it. So that's, that's, that's really cool to hear because it's so hard nowadays to actually connect with anybody on the other side. Maybe a film can help with that. Maybe we don't want to do that. <laughs> Maybe that's, that's not what we need to do. I don't know, but um, yeah. Yeah, I have to say that was definitely one of the parts that I appreciated most about it. I mean, I find myself, I feel most of the time in the middle of the road, you know, sort of a centrist. Yeah. And I watched it and I, I saw that this is something that everybody can watch, appreciate, understand, and gives them a new filter for looking at the media, looking at, you know, the latest news stories. And I think your timing for launching the film is also sort of... Uh, it's, it's interesting with all the events that have happened last week where I think, you know, between the Covington Catholic students sort of being portrayed wrong by the media uh, and having that sort of blow up in a way that we haven't seen that often or that much. You covered a lot of really great examples of sort of like fake news and, and uh, you know, bad portrayals of people in, in the film. And I think this belongs right there with it. Uh, so I think you guys are really just nailing, striking the iron while it's hot right now. When, when did the when did the whole thing begin? Because it sort of you know revolves a lot around the the latest election. When did the project begin? We started filming August of 2017, and then we were done by the end of that year. And then so we spent 2018 editing it, and we more or less had a finish ish cut at the end of summer of 2018 and then it's from that point there's been a lot of time doing all the finishing and also trying to get the legal stuff and insurance and all that all that stuff um so yeah it ended up being pretty providential although you know no one wishes what happened in Co with the covington kids uh, to have happened but now it, 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 we literally got our insurance that day and we're like oh my gosh this is crazy that this is happening at the same time so it is it is a, uh, a a relevant topic right now, and it, I think it's going to continue to be because the news media isn't going to get better. <laughs> like it's not going to get any better as as they start to lose some of continue to lose in in terms of ratings. They're going to get more and more shrill, and um, and yeah, the Covington thing is really interesting because from my perspective, it's not just that they were slightly misleading or they framed things incorrectly 
or with a slanted bias. Like it wasn't just bias. It was literally, they got everything about that story wrong. There was nothing factual about the story. In fact, it was actually the opposite. You know, this guy's a Vietnam vet. Well, no, actually he wasn't a Vietnam vet. The completely false. Um, that, uh, you know, that they cheered this thing. No, they didn't cheer this thing. That he approached the guy. No, he didn't. He was approached by it. It was, it was, it was a, a, an egregious example because usually they're able to, like there is some kernel of truth or there's some aspect of truth to the stories that you see. Um, but because of what they leave out or the way they frame it, it gives a different impression. But this was notable because it, there's literally nothing true about it. It was the complete opposite. Yeah. And, uh, I think it's really like, like this example I feel has, has hit the mainstream harder than, you know, anything previous to it. And I think it's sort of just like a growing thing. The more people that, uh, have this understanding of the way that the media is uh, framing different stories, the more that this happens, more that events like this happens, the more that people will be keen to and observe sort of other, you know, bad reporting in the future. Uh, Tell me, did, did you have these kinds of, did you have this perspective about the media before starting this project or did your perspective on the media evolve while doing the film? I always say that it, my perspective was already pretty cynical about what media is on both sides, even like, you know, on sort of Fox News and that, and that side. Uh, but it, my view got extremely darker and like I have much more contempt for the media than i I've had ever. <laughs> and there is some sense where I do have a little bit more sympathy or I can understand more after having made the film because you understand what sort of pressures different journalists are under. I mean, a, a lot of these journalists, they don't, they're making no money. Like they're, they're not making a lot of money and it's a, it's not an easy gig. And, you know, so there's, there's some measure of sympathy that I have gained through it. But overall, no, I mean, it, it's, it's so bad. Like it's so bad. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. So yeah, my, my, my understanding has gotten to where I have yeah, more contempt for the media than before. <laughs> Got it. Got <laughs> it. Um, one thing that I really love that you guys do is you pulled together a very interesting group of people, a lot of which are, have a lot of controversy surrounding them. They're all banned years. from social media now. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, like probably what ninety percent of them. Yeah, uh, which is pretty crazy, you know. So, uh, how did you, how did you choose that roster of people? Did was that something that was sort of preset when you went to make the film, or was that did you were like, hey, let's grab everybody that's, you know. Uh, yeah, I mean, Mike. Mike knew a lot of the people that were in the film, so he was able to reach out. But we, yeah, we reached out to a bunch of people um, on the left, on the right, in the middle. Like we we asked a lot of people to be in the film and we got a lot. Our cast is fantastic. Um, and, but we, you know, we got a lot of denial. Like that's the thing is you want to have a, this whole thing of like, let's have a conversation. It's like, great. Like a lot of people I feel like in the center and on the right are willing to have the conversation. But the problem is people on the left, they don't, they're not willing to have the conversation. Like they're not willing to sit down. And the one person that we did get to sit down uh, who's on the left in the film there's several people on the left in the film, but um, the one that jumps to my head is uh, Hawk Newsom, who's uh, a leader of Black Lives Matter in New York. And 
we treated him very fairly in the film and we let his perspective be shown. Um, you know, he's more, he's a, he's a reasonable guy. So it wasn't like a big deal, but we would have done, we would have, have afforded that same, um, uh, that same equity and care to anybody that we, that we sat down with and respected their point of view. Like, but, and it would have made it maybe a more interesting film. Um, and I still think it's interesting already, but, but uh, yeah, they, they're not willing to sit down at the table. So what can you do at that point? Um, that's, that's, that's part of the challenge is as a, as a, if, if you're a filmmaker and you're making a film that's outside of the narrative spectrum that you're supposed to be on, then the people that normally will, they'll talk to anybody. They're not going to talk to you. Um, so that's been an interesting, that was interesting for me is to, uh, to see who's willing to talk and who's not. Yeah, I, th I find that really interesting, too, because, I mean, it's so weird to see the political transformation in the United States over the past couple of years. You know, it wasn't that long ago that the left was, you know, everyone thought of them as the more open-minded party. It's really just been in the right. past. Uh, it's been in the past couple of years that you've seen sort of almost a, a switch in that or a reversal of it, turning of the tides. Where, have you always had sort of the political beliefs that you do or, or have those evolved over time or? No, I, I, I changed my mind a lot. I have, uh, I have the, the horrible curse and gift to be able to look at other sides of the argument. And um, so originally I, I became politically active-ish or even thought about politics at all after 9-11 because I was 16. So that's when I started following politics and the news. And because of the Iraq war and everything, I, I ended up being on the left in my teen, teenage and early 20s. Uh, and I supported Barack Obama the first time around. And but once he got into office, I had been listening to like talk rate leftist talk radio. And once he got into office, they just immediately switched from a lot of, a lot of them were anti-war and, and stuff. But once Obama didn't really do what he said he was going to do, they started running cover for him. And, and I was like very disgusted by, by that. And I shouldn't have been surprised by it, but I was surprised at the time. And so then that made me start to look into other, what, what the other types of political beliefs are. So that, that led me to where I am now, which is basically that <laughs> politics don't matter as much as, as religion, because, because if we can't agree on what, like metaphysics is the base basic beliefs about the, about the world. And if we can't agree, agree on those basic things there's we can we can't have a conversation together and ultimately what i feel like is that it's a spiritual problem it's a human problem it's not really a um it's not it, there is an aspect to the politics that's very important but it's not the most important thing in the world you know so that's that's kind of where i am right now <laughs> i find that that's really interesting so you see so you, you sort of uh are just taking a different perspective on it. That's not really about those, the issues and the political parties more so like the, the value systems that people have. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Well, part of the thing in the film is like, we have a guy who talks about, you know, one of the biggest problems in America right now is we can't, we can't agree on reality. And so there, there, because we, we don't have much, you always want to be bound together by the highest common denominator. Because otherwise, all you, all your connect, all your country is connected with is the lowest common denominator, trying to make money or whatever. 
Um, it's not, it's not something that makes for a stable society. Um, so you want, you want to be united around the highest common denominator. And for me, the highest common denominator is, uh, the basis of all civilization and culture is what do you believe about the world? Um, and so it, which is ultimately is a conscience issue. And, um, so yeah, I'm interested in spreading the, spreading the gospel, the good news of, of Jesus Christ. And, um, so that's, that's my, that's my, you know, sort of spiritual perspective. And that the, the world, the modern world is very, we have incorrect assumptions about the world. And so a lot of the political problems we have are, are derived from those basic assumptions, those incorrect basic assumptions on reality. Um, we're entering kind of a nihilistic age because no one, a lot of people just don't believe there's a point to anything. So that's why we're seeing some, this idea that truth is relative. Well, no, it's not relative. There is an objective truth. Um, we may not be able to see ex we're human, so we don't have the ability to see truth in its totality. But um, when we start disbelieving that there is a truth to be discovered, that's a big problem. Absolutely. That's, yeah, I've noticed that it seems like over time, especially, you know, since my childhood, people have sort of grown farther and farther apart as far as like what's the shared belief systems like in America. Um, and uh, are, are you familiar at all with the, that book, Generations? Is that um, the fourth turning idea? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like it's by that yeah. same those same guys mm -hmm. there. Um, I wonder if that has anything to do with it, where you know people sort of rally around uh, you know some sort of big event. So you know, like the world that we're living in now, sort of built by people who came together with a common belief system following World War II and the Great Depression. They all came together mm -hmm. with this con you know nationalist belief system, um, you know, embracing you know the, the you know, liberty and, and freedom and those sort of things. And then over time, that generation is aged and they're dying off now. We're sort of in a place where we don't have any one event that has brought us back together yet. Uh, we're sort of still, we're sort of, you know, floating freely. And that's why you have these different ideas percolating up that, you know, if they were uh, exposed to the objective truth, they would not exist. Like the rise in, you know, we're seeing, you know, socialist candidates taking, getting a lot of attention, um, in the Democratic Party, something that I think 20 years ago you could have never imagined. Uh, but it's it's that lack of sort of objective truth or, or truth or that you know uh, feedback from reality that's that's creating sort of these alternate scenarios that people are sort of pursuing these different uh, creating different value systems than they ever had before. It's something you see a lot in history if you if you look at the ri rise and fall of different civilizations and different and different nations and cultures. Nations so and civilizations have their own life cycle, and they they this is pretty pretty consistent in that at the later stages of empire, the cult has either become corrupted or it's not as central anymore, and that's when things collapse. And so I I do feel like we are, and people have been talking, you know. Uh, a lot of even elites and globalists have been, they understand this, this problem. Um, but there is a sense in which America right now is, we don't say we're an empire, but the reality is that we are a global empire. And um, by any metric, since the 1920s, we have been on the decline. 
And we see that uh, uh, no matter what metric you look at. And so I think part of the problem that is just, we're just in that life cycle right now. Uh, and the force of history is such that it doesn't mean it's inevitable, but it, in, unless we have, in my opinion, unless we have a spiritual revival of the kind that maybe you're talking about where there is some kind of shock event, which probably be a negative event, um, it's going to be very, very hard to, uh, to unite people and become strong again. I mean, that's why, that's why Trump's slogan barred from Reagan sort of, uh, you know, dialectically, does it make sense? Were we ever great? It's just the idea of like, there's something that we were that we're losing and, um, how can we get, we, we need to get it back and we need to believe. And so that, that's why it's had such a good, uh, or <laughs> that's why among many people it's been inspired as it was an inspiring phrase, make America great again. Um, to others, of course, it, it you know, they have, they have issues <laughs> with it, it. They either take it too literally or they have a different perspective on whether America was ever great. So, yeah, absolutely. And well, what I find interesting is that, you know, in, in the world that we're living now, it's different than ever before because we have more access to communication and information than any civilization ever had. So we're sort yeah. of in a different, you know, you can look at the the cycles of civilizations and things, but it's sort of a new, it's a new reality. It's where we, no one's ever experienced it the way that we're about to. And I think uh, one of the things that could potentially bring people together is, is, the kind of is like the kind of film that you made with hoax. It's something that exposes a lot of people and can potentially unify more people with a piece of information, which, you know, 50, hundred years ago, you could have never got enough eyeballs on one piece of content mm -hmm. to do something so effective. Uh, is that, you know, it's, is that some of your motivation for making the film or are you more just sort of like throwing it out there or what sort of, what, what, what was ultimately the driving force for you? I think that, yes, I think that was definitely, we, we always had in our mind, we didn't want this to be just like red, red meat as they call it. We didn't want it to just serve our base or our audience or our team. Uh, we wanted to challenge ourselves to make something that would have crossover appeal that, that would make people think. And the next part, the next stage is going to be very interesting because the di if, if the film does have any impact, then the dialogue that it creates, I'll be interested to see what kind of dialogue there is. Um, and I, and I know that it, it's potentially possible because of, of the people on the left who have seen the film and have really enjoyed it. So I hope that there is, that it does start a discussion of some kind, because if we don't use words anymore, that like, then what, what's left after there's no words? Well, we all know what happens after that. So it's very, very important that we continue to, uh, to talk to each other and, um, but speak the truth, you know, always speak the truth. Absolutely. Of course. Tell me, uh, what, what kind of, uh, did you naturally find a good synergy working with your partner on this film or did it take a little bit of time to get used to each other's styles? Um, you know, we had, we had a few, we had a few tips here and there, but I mean, for the most part, we, we had, we had a similar, similar vision and, you know, we decided early on the kind of style that we wanted and we had it. We also had our, our DP, our director of photography, Justin Gum, uh, who was fantastic. He did a great job. 
uh, he, he was, uh, he, he was a good mediator when we, when we disagreed on certain things. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, we, we both, when we, when we were editing, we were right there together. And I think we, we had like a, uh, a board with all of the different scenes and, and topics that we had. That, that was the real challenge of the film was it's such a big topic. What do you, what do you choose to include? What do you not choose to include? Um, and so we would have long discussions about that. And, uh, but yeah, no, it, we were, we ended up, we worked together so well that it's like shocking. Like that's why I'm like, God must've been part of this in some way because there's no other way that, you know, we could have, uh, we could have gotten along as well as we did. It's a divine creation then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, uh, do, do you think you guys will continue to make, uh, make films together? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I think so. Um, I think it, I think it is good to have, um, one person with the ultimate decision-making power, whether that's another producer or whatever. Um, so we will probably do like a, uh, a joint kind of producing directing, um, situation or I, I edit to, you know, we both edit. So yeah, we're already working on stuff together. So I think it's going to be a long, it's going to be a long partnership because there's just not that many people who are in like whatever, you know, field that we're in. Like there's just not that many conservative Christian filmmakers out there. So we're kind of the only people <laughs> in the game at this point. There are a few others, but it's just like we're, it's a small pond. Um, so we're all going to probably be working together as long as there is work. You know, that's really interesting. I didn't, I didn't really think of it like that. You know, I could imagine, uh, especially out here in Los Angeles, you guys might be a little out of place. Uh, <laughs> how, how does that work? Like sort of when you interface with other people in the, in that industry? Uh, I don't, you know, so, <laughs> um, I did for, you know, I was, I was in the, I never really broke into the, the film industry proper here. I've always been more on the independent side. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's no way like those doors, if I was interested in those doors are closed because you can't even say like, I know a lot of Christians in the, in the film industry and they, you know, they have to keep it under wraps or their religious beliefs. Um, you, if, if you are, if you lean to the right, yeah, you got to keep that, you got to keep that under wraps. There, there are a lot of secret conservatives and secret Christians in various parts of the industry, um, which are our spies and, uh, and, um, and saboteurs. Um, and, uh, we're, they do, they do connect together, but yeah, for, you're just going to be blackballed if you're, if you're on the right or if you aren't, if you're a Christian. So, um, but that's okay because now, like you said, like it's a different, it's a different ball game. Now you can directly connect with your audience. Um, it doesn't really matter and it's gotten a lot cheaper as well. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to continuing to, I mean, ultimately I just want to make movies, you know, like it's not, it's not like, it is a high calling, but it's sort of like just I want to make movies. You know, I'll do it with, I would work with people no matter what their political or religious beliefs are. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, let's just make movies. Yeah. I'm with you, man. That's, that's awesome. Did you always have that ambition or, or, uh, is that something you've always had throughout, you know, growing up? Yeah, I started making films in high school. I was on like the school news show and it was like right before YouTube came out. And so I was making little short films and showing them to the school. And that was when I kind of fell in love with it. And so I went to film school and then 
after film school made a decided I was going to make a feature film with my friend and we raised the money for it, made it. Um, and that came out in 2012. So this is my second feature film. So it was a long kind of gap in between, but, um, hopefully the next one will be like next year. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. Well, one thing that I find really, and you sort of touched on this with the film industry, it's in the, you know, sort of current environment, it's probably cheaper than ever to make a film, probably requires less equipment, less people than ever. Uh, do you mind me asking a little bit about the specifics with this film? Sort of like how many people did it take? What, what, you know, you mentioned the timeline, but like, you know, what was the budget? Uh, mm -hmm. I'm so curious about those kind of details. Yeah, I think we ended up raising 185 or something grand for this, and then we got additional uh, we got additional outside uh, finance as well. So I think the total budget was like 250 thousand, um, which is a pretty good like to me. That's a lot of money, you know. But for a lot of people making films, that's like really really low budget. Um, but I I thought it was. For me, that's a pretty good budget for a doc. Um, I think you can do it. You can definitely do it for that for that amount. Um, in terms of crew, it was just it was a very lean crew. It was you know Mike, our producer, and my co-director John Dutois, our cinematographer Justin Gum, and a few other assistants who declined to be credited in the film, so they wouldn't be blackballed as well. And uh, and then my wife, my wife was the uh, production coordinator, so. Yeah, it was a very lean, very lean, uh, very lean crew. Gotcha. I love that. I love that. Because it really does, you know, puts into perspective for people that, you know, especially after they, they watch Hoax, that, you know, it's possible for them to do a similar thing. It's really not that out of reach. It's not that crazy. And the production quality on it, I found was, you know, it's awesome. It looks, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't even be able to tell that it was fairly low budget compared to other films. That it was a tight crew like that. You'd, you'd have no idea. Yeah, I think it we we put we were able to put the money on the on the screen, which is which is always good. Oh, we had our VFX. We have a we had our VFX guy as well. Um and he he did some cool some cool shots. Um but yeah, like what you want to do is you want to take the iterative approach where you you do it for as cheap as you can first. And it's not going to be as it's not going to look as good, it's not going to sound as good. It's going to be a little it's going to be a little rough around the edges, but you just keep improving. And if you, if you make something good, it doesn't really, those things don't really matter as much. Then you'll get better opportunities to make, you know, get, you'll get, you just keep climbing the ladder, you know? So don't be, if you're a young filmmaker out there, don't be discouraged. Like just, just do it. You know, I mean, the, uh, the I think the winter of Sundance a few years ago, the film was shot entirely on a cell phone. Um, so like, yeah, like the, the, the barrier to entry is, very low now but now the 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 challenge with that is you're going to have more competition and there's going to be a glut of content so how do you you have your do you therefore have to raise you have to either find your niche which you should do uh, but you also have to get you have to have good content so that's the challenge as it always is absolutely what, what do you look for in good content like when you're putting something out what, what sort of makes it feel high enough value to you that it that it's worth sharing with everybody oh that's a good question I just it's just got to interest it's just got to interest me i find a lot of the stuff that's out that's out is like it's just boring to me like i don't know i feel like the, the things that are interest there's a lot of interesting stuff that's happening out there in the world right now and for the most part i feel like 
like I, for example, like I, I Marvel movies are really good. They're really solid films. They're well produced. They're well written. They're interesting, but there's just something about like, there's something about them that just don't, it doesn't interest me. <laughs> like it, it's too basic. Like I, I want to, I, I like to see people that are doing something ambitious. I think maybe is another, like I'd rather see a bad movie that's ambitious where they're, they were trying to do something like, uh, I mean, one example would be, um, the Netflix show, uh, black mirror. They did an episode called Bandersnatch, which was like a, a, a choose your own adventure style films. Like, wow, that's really cool. That's ambitious. Did it work a hundred percent? You know, I give it a B plus a minus. Um, but at least they were trying, they were trying to do something new. Um, so yeah, originality and ambition and, um, yeah, just having a solid story. Yeah. And, you know, I, I really applaud you for taking on this project because like you mentioned, you know, some of the people didn't want their names listed in the credits because they don't want to be blackballed by the industry, but it takes a lot of courage to create a piece of content that might stir up a lot of controversy. Uh, you know, is, uh, did you know that going into it that, that you might get this sort of uh, outcome or, or, you know, are you willing to just do whatever it takes to get the, uh, you know, to get the right content out. Yeah. It was like, because I never really like if I, if I had been working in the industry and had had a huge amount of success in that area, it would have been a, a more difficult decision at that point because it would have been like, okay, I'm going to lose a lot of opportunities, but I, they, those weren't really there. So it, it really like, you know, I started my production company a few years ago and it was like, I, I had been struggling, you know, out here and out here in Hollywood. And I remember just at one point praying, our, our, our church had gone through a series on Job and it was talking about how, um, when you're at your lowest, like when he, when Job was at his lowest, he worshiped God. Um, like after he just lost everything, lost his family, lost his house, lost everything. And he, he worshiped God. And I feel like that night God told me to just worship him, even though I was at like my lowest point personally and professionally, it was just like uh, really tough. And I worshiped him and I was praying for open doors in my life. And, and then I got a call from open doors ministry to do video work for them. <laughs> so God literally answered my prayer. Um, so that's why I think God has a sense of humor. Um, but yeah, so since then I've been doing uh, films and documentaries that are faith based or, or political. So religion and politics, those things are not things you usually make films about and expect them to be popular. So it's just sort of always been in my DNA to, to do things independently outside of the, outside of the system. So it, by, by the point that I was deciding whether to do the film, it wasn't even a, a question of like, Oh no, this could be controversial. Like, you know, the most important thing in the world that we live in is to just tell the truth, always tell the truth, no matter what, no matter if that's offensive or if it, is deemed controversial. Just telling the truth is the most important thing you can do. Absolutely. Love that. Of course. Uh, you know, I, I wouldn't even have known from watching the film, you know, sort of how, uh, you know, how, how religious you are. Uh, is that, is, have you always sort of had uh, that level of deep faith or is that also something that might've uh, evolved over time? No, no, it's, it definitely evolved over time. My, my story was that uh, when I was 16, 9-11 happened. So the same time I was awakening to a political consciousness, I started thinking about 
death because I was like, oh, shoot, I'm going to die someday. I should probably think about what I think about, you know, religion. And so I went to church that Sunday and they were ready, you know, <laughs> they were ready for everyone coming in and having, having questions and they preached the gospel and I accepted Christ and I, I was like, oh, he's offering eternal life. Like, okay, I'll, I'll take that. Um, <laughs> And then, uh, and then, it, but then, you know, because I have that mind of, like, I'm always interested in, in uh, looking at different sides of the argument, I got into apologetics, which is a, a Christianese lingo word for um, giving a defense of the faith and looking into some of the tough questions that skeptics ask, which are legitimate. And as I did that, in addition to having like personal traumas and just being in a college environment, um, I ended up falling away from the faith. And by the end of college, I was like an atheist. This was kind of at the time that the new atheist movement was happening. So I started, I was like reading a lot of their literature and. Uh, well, what's the new atheist movement? I'm not familiar with it. Uh, it was this, it was kind of like, I guess around 2005 to 2011 was probably their biggest like year. Like Richard Dawkins uh, was a big part of that, uh, movement. Um, uh, Sam Harris, there were like a few like influential public figures who were promoting atheism pretty heavily. Um, and they were promoted in the media and stuff. And so that was the, that was the movement. Um, and so, yeah, I became an atheist, ended up becoming a Christian later on after So I, I was an atheist. Then I started dabbling in the new age uh, and taking hallucinogens and being like typical California hippie. And, uh, that led me ultimately back to, to, uh, to Christianity after I explored that. Um, so yeah, it's been, it's been a, it's been a journey. <laughs> that sounds like quite the journey. It sounds, uh, especially, you know, you throw, you know, some hallucinogenics in there. I'm sure that also amplifies things. There's a, there's a saying that if you just like, the fool has to persist in his folly. If, he, if a fool persists in his folly, he will find wisdom, which I think is true. And it's the idea that like, if you just, I was searching for truth and I just, I went through the whole, I went through all the, you know, I ended up being a nihilist. I hedonist, like all of the, I was embracing the different ways to look at the world fully, like all the way. And eventually when you when you do that and my like i believe i did i found the bedrock truth um and that's so that's where i am <laughs> uh, but yeah i don't i'm not i'm not like i don't like when christians are very uh like holier than thou or anything like that I, i'm like i'm just like a normal i'm a normal person who's been forgiven you know that's i'm a, I'm a bad person who's been forgiven who's trying has been given a new nature and is trying to be uh, and trying to follow follow Jesus and be like him. Um, so I'm not saying I'm like I'm like oh, better or I'm advanced spiritually than everyone else. Um, I'm in the same boat. I've just been saved. That's it. Got it. Got it. That's awesome. Is does your uh, so were, were your parents like religious like this as well or or um... no? We were kind of like growing up. We were Sunday. Uh, we were Easter Sunday, Christmas Christians, you know, we'd like show up for Easter and, uh, enjoy the, enjoy the eggs on the, you know, on the ground in Christmas, <laughs> but it was not like it, they laid enough seeds that it, 
that probably helped um, me accept accept that there is a God. You know, I believe there was a God. You know, um, growing up, but I wasn't like a practicing Christian. And then they and they they weren't. They were just kind of yeah, like normal Christians. And then now they're now they're fully they're fully on board as well. Interesting. That's that's really uh, an interesting story uh, because you know I feel like in the you know, current political climate, you know, people are moving far, clo- farther and farther from religion, closer to atheism, uh, like more so than ever before. So to see sort of yeah. the pendulum swing back around, uh, I think that's really interesting, especially when you compare it to the work that you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the overall trend is definitely, I mean, New York just legalized late term abortions. So we are definitely as a, as a country, we're moving away from Christianity and more, I mean, I live in LA, so there's a lot of spirituality here. I think that's, that's where the general trend is. And you know, a lot of it does have to do as well with failures within the Christian church. We all know about the different scandals that have happened. Um, so it's, it's both something that's been weaponized, I think by, by different institutions. So it's not entirely organic. It's also happening on a spiritual level, but uh, you know, we, judgment begins in the house of the Lord. So there we have a lot of times have failed as Christians. Um, and so I think people see that, like I, I saw that growing up, like, Oh, I'm just sick of these hypocritical Christians, you know? Um, and so I think there, but now I think what people are, I think there is a little bit of a resurgence where people are seeing what happens when we lose that mooring and we see how society is at that point. And so when you have a spiritual vacuum, it will be filled up by something. And when, like, when I can, I consider that new atheist movement kind of the height of that atheism movement, almost like a, and that was like a spiritual vacuum that is going to be filled. It will either be filled by Islam or the new age or Christianity or something we don't know about yet, but it will be filled. You know, people will believe in something, even if it's nihilism, (laughs) Yeah, you know, um, yeah, so it it is uh, it is it is countercultural though. You know, it is it is now counter. It is sort of, there's still a majority Christian in the majority of Christians in the country according to the polls, um, but it does feel, especially me living in California and living in LA, it feels countercultural to be a Christian. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, you definitely don't fit the mold for the typical you know sort of California filmmaker out here. So. I <laughs> Yeah. And, but I'm a hippie yeah. at heart, you know. The California <laughs> rubbed off on me. Where where are you from originally? Kentucky. Oh, cool. Yeah, okay. cool Kentucky. Yeah. Southern Southern boy. Nice. That's that's uh this is all very interesting stuff here. So when it comes to uh so first off, where can people find this find hoax when when you when you launch it here? So we're on uh, YouTube tonight. Uh, we're going to premiere the first 15 minutes or first, first 10 minutes for free on YouTube. Um, so you can, you can uh, join that. Just go to Mike Cernovich's uh, YouTube channel and you'll, you'll find it on there. And then the film will, will be released tonight on Vimeo. So you'll be able to, to pay for it on Vimeo, rent it, and, and watch it there. And then from there, we're going to do a uh, theatrical platform release using a, a program um, 
called Tug, which basically crowdsources theatrical showings. So if you live in a city and you want to see Hopes in theaters and you have enough people that sign up and say, yes, I want to see this in, in Omaha, uh, the, if you reach the like 100 people, and Tug will release the film into your city in, in theater. So we're going to kind of do a, a crowd-funded theatrical release. And then we'll also eventually be on iTunes and Amazon, and we'll see about Netflix. Um, and that'll, that'll be in the next, next month. Fantastic. That's awesome. Well, again, I, I really applaud you for, for this work that you've done here. I, again, thought that this film was easily the best documentary I've seen in a really long time. Can't remember the last time something really hit home as hard as this. Um, do you have any final asks or requests to the audience before we wrap up here? Any, any sort of takeaways you want to leave them with? No, I just, uh, thank everyone for, for, uh, for listening and, um, go, go see hoaxed. Cool, man. Where can everybody find you online? Um, I'm on Twitter at true legend films and that's pretty much it. <laughs> Awesome, man. Awesome. Well, I really look forward to your work in the future. Um, I hope everyone uh, listening goes out and, and checks out Hoax. You will not be disappointed. And again, thanks for coming on, Scooter. I really appreciate it. It's been an honor. Thank you, Patrick. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed that episode, please hit the subscribe button and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. You can find us on Twitter at KWC pod on Instagram at knowledge without college podcast. You can find me Patrick Butler at Patrick Butler zero zero on Instagram and Twitter. I encourage you to send over any feedback you have. If there's any guests you'd like to hear on the show, any topics you'd want to hear discussed. I want to know about it. I want to hear your feedback and opinions. So please Help me make this a better experience for you. And I look forward to hearing from you. Have an excellent day and thanks for listening.